Um, this is found in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that we may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflicted you, to grant, to grant relief uh, to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the, fre- away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his, in his saints and to be marveled at among all who were believed because our testimony to you was believed. This has been the word of God that has been read in your hearing. Praise God. Thank you, Kamal. Hey, guys. Thank you. Uh, you may be seated. Again, thanks to... Uh, those who are leading us in song, just want to not take that for granted, family, for all of us. Hey, family, as I was looking at this word, we're in Second Thessalonians. We're, we're in uh, the first chapter. Uh, we started last week, uh, verse 5 through 10. I uh, want to ask you to open up your Bibles uh, to uh, that area. If you are new to Mac Ave, this is, um, uh, this is what we do. We, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, we, we want to uh, grow in our understanding of uh, the Holy One, and obviously if you go on our website, you'll see the different uh, John, the different books we've gone through, and right now we're in Second Thessalonians, and we uh, did First Thessalonians in the fall, uh, which hopefully was encouraging, and so um, if you're new here, you're in a kind of a moving train. Uh, in a nutshell, we have uh, the people of God who uh, who become Christians they, through the, the hearing of the word, through Paul and, and Silas and, uh, and these guys, uh, Timothy and these guys, um, uh, they, they basically had, they get thrown out of uh, Thessalonica uh, and all of a sudden, in a, in a month or two, and all of a sudden these guys are now still asked to, to live a life of faith uh, before Jesus. And so First Thessalonians is written out of a, out of a sense of like, um, Paul hoping to encourage them to live the life of faith uh, and hoping that they'll continue to live the life of faith. And in 2 Thessalonians, is a continuation of 1 Thessalonians, kind of filling in some gaps and some things that he wanted to talk about, uh, kind of also continuing uh, some different frameworks that he was talking about in 1 Thessalonians, and also bringing up a few things that were brought up uh, to him between the hiatus of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And so he's kind of, that's kind of a mixed bag. And so here we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And when I was reading this text here, it reminded me of back when I was, uh, I was a new staff person in, uh, with Crusade. And I was, uh, and all of a sudden I, there was a news uh, flash uh, in the, kind of the Christian circle. It was like 1999 or so. Uh, and this this family, uh, this missionary uh, dad, uh, was was in India. I think they were on, actually on vacation during this time. And, and during the night, he was in the car with his two sons. And out of persecution, uh, uh, five individuals who obviously had uh, an offense to the faith uh, doused doused their car with gasoline and burned them alive. 
uh, and I remember it was a, and, and a friend of ours um, actually knew the people, and that's how we had heard of it. So, so you have this dad, and I know his one son was 10, and I forget the age of another son, and out of persecution uh, was, was murdered. 1999. The guys were persecuted, and there was a statement in India that, hey, we don't, fought, you know, we don't desire this and all that. But, but, it, but it, was a, it was a kind of a jolt in the Christian community just to remind us of the cost of discipleship. Uh, the people in our, in our, in our world, uh, they still die for the faith. Right. That's just kind of, that's kind of, uh, it's kind of bizarre to us, right? Even as you hear the story, it's, it's hard to even connect the emotional dots because it's so far-fetched from what we're used to, isn't it? It's hard to kind of really relate. Um, but I tell that story to say, man, that, that's part of the problem, is that, that we hear that and we're just kind of like, well, that'll never happen to us. Uh, and we're in a culture and we're, we're kind of groomed by even unbelievers to, to, to live our life as believers and to try to make sure that every day we hedge our bets to figure out how do we make sure we suffer the less? You know, how do we suffer the least? How do we go through life, you know, having joy, getting into things, but then how do we make sure we put ourselves in environments where we're not suffering? Is that fair? Don't we fight that? Right? And so uh, I look at these, these verses here and... Um, I look, I think, of the fact that Christ has appeared, right? He, he uh, once for all, um, uh, when we think of uh, the climax of the ages, what, he, what he's going to do, he, 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 he paid for sin on the cross, and one day he will return. Um, and the Bible says in, 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 in Hebrews that uh, it's appointed for men to die, and once after that is a judgment. And so it's interesting that we go from the text of last week where he's kind of introducing himself and girding us and who, who we are in Christ to this text that's about what happens when Jesus returns. Basically, what does it look like for us to fight the fight of faith well as a local community? That's kind of, it seems that, that Paul saw it fit to encourage these Thessalonians of what does it mean to, to fight the fight of faith well, Right? Remember, he's, he's writing to, 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 to members, to, to believers who've been abused. Right? They, they, they're, for whatever reason, they're going through persecution. They're going through struggling. They're going through a lack of relief, a lack of rest. And what I love about the Bible is, you know, when we read these stories, that's not far-fetched because there's many of us in this room, if not every one of us, in some level, we're experiencing a sense of unrest. Things aren't going the way you want them to go. Some of us are actually experiencing persecution because of our faithfulness in Christ. And so he's wanting these people to, to gird up. He's trying to strengthen them. Don't you need strength sometimes? Sometimes I need God to remind me that he's going to win. Oh, I need him to remind me that he won. All right. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to remind ourselves Who's on the throne? We're going to remind ourselves who wins. We're going to remind ourselves who you are. That's what we're going to do, okay? Look at verse 5. Encouraging the believers. He says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Gets the word and gets kind of crazy here. So I'm going to try to parse this out as much as I can to make it hopefully clear to all of us. 
in this text here, he's pausing because he's wanting to help us understand something. He's trying to help the people understand something that, that persecutions and trials, if we're honest, we get frustrated because they seem to contradict the righteous judgment of God. Right? They seem to contradict that God is just and right versus conf- to confirm it. Something as simple as, you know, Frank's car and the engine jacked up, you know. He tries to buy a car, tries to be faithful, doesn't work out. We try to buy a car, we try to be faithful, it doesn't work out. Well, in my math book, you know, bad people should get beat down, right? And when you do something good, you should get paid for it. It should be a good thing that happens, right? Kind of simple to me. So it's interesting, right? You think, you know, man, the Christians are getting beat up. Paul can't even go back to Thessalonica. His boys can't go back. The people at, in, in the city are being persecuted. Well, man, this, is, this, this doesn't seem like it's working. I don't get it. How is this, how is this righteous? How is God going, yes, this is work. This is exactly how I planned it. How does this show, how does this confirm that God is righteous? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you didn't say it in those terms, but we think like that, Right? Well, as you read this text here, what's going to happen a lot of times, family, is there's going to be a, a big word that, that we, the theologians use sometimes, it's called synonymous parallelism, okay? Because here's what God is wanting you and me to understand. Again, when we talk about the Bible, we want to put our first century glasses on, our theological glasses on, and we want, to, we want you to see otherworldly. And one thing that God wants you to see as you're reading this text, he wants you to understand something, that in this world, there's always two journeys that's happening at the same time. Right? There's the journey of the wicked and the journey of the righteous. And that things are happening to and for them at the same time all the time. That there's this, there's this, and so what you're going to see in this text here is poetically synonymous parallelism because he's wanting to remind you that I got this. Right? So why does God allow his people to suffer? That's the first question in a nutshell when you think of verse 5. Okay? Now, to be able to talk about why does God allow his people to suffer, I'm going to start by talking about the most hated doctrine in the world. The most hated doctrine in the world, I would propose, is God's final judgment. Right? People, people, right? You talk to believers, unbelievers alike, right? And especially unbelievers, right? People are totally cool with God being good, with God wanting you to go to heaven, with God trying to bless you with stuff. People always want the cake. Right? Everybody, the unbeliever, like, yeah, if he's going to bless me, praise God. <laughs> but have you ever done this? Have you ever talked with someone that literally at the same time that they want to believe and lift up heaven, they get so upset if you talk about the judgment of hell? Yeah. Wait a minute. A loving God does that? A loving God sends people to hell? How does God send people to hell? How, why does a loving God judge people? Why? Right? That's the language, Right? That God is unfair. He's unjust, right? That God ought to forgive everybody. God ought to bless everybody. This is kind of this is kind of the posture of humankind, right? That judging the world—that's weird. And so you have that's the, so it's kind of the, I, I propose kind of this the most hated people can't stand the fact when they hear God's final judgment. And here it is, front and center for us, right here, the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. See, he says here, look at, look at verse 5. He says, here's the evidence that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. 
right? Let me propose, let me say, let me say it another way. The, that the, 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 the judgment that you're seeing in verse 5, as he's talking very clearly that they're experiencing this affliction and it's actually evidence of the righteous judgment of God, he's saying it's not a sign of anger, but it's a sign of loving justice. How? Because here's what's happening. When you look at the book of Revelation, here's what's happening in a nutshell. In your life and in my life, daily, when you experience affliction, when you experience wrongdoing, two things are always happening. God is using those hardships and those journeys to purify the saints, okay? And at the very same time, synonymously, as he's purifying the saints with those hardships and those journeys, he's using it to heap judgment on the unbeliever, to heap judgment on this world. I'm saying that to you very clearly. I want you, as you're doing life, I want you to understand that is the modus operandi. That's the mode of operation of our Lord as he sees himself saying, how do I maximize my glory in my world? This is how he brings himself full glory that in all this brokenness and all this craziness we experience, what it, what it does, that brokenness actually purifies the faith of the, of the believer. It, it makes that believer realize that, oh, God is my hope. God is my salvation. Right? When, 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 when all these things crumble in your life and you find yourself holding on to money but it doesn't satisfy you and you find yourself holding on to the relationship and it doesn't satisfy you and you find yourself holding on to all these things and they just don't satisfy you continue brought to the point where you go only God satisfies God gets glory. Yes. The journey of life broken cars and all that stuff just allows us to put our knees and go Lord you are my Lord. You is where my hope is. You are where my trust is. When people wrong, treat you wrong and they are lapping you in the world of life and, and all these things are going, you, you, you get sad. You, you're thinking, Lord, come, Jesus, come. It makes you long for heaven. It makes you long for Jesus. It makes you want the true believer. Afflictions, brokenness actually points you and moves you toward a deeper sense of trust and reliability and sanctification. You see that? But at the same time, at the very same time, what happens is the unbeliever, as you continue to do wrong, as you continue to mistreat people. See, see, in God's moral universe, here's what's cool. In God's beautiful moral universe, it would be wrong for him not to judge evil. See, it, it, it's, literally, it's, 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 it's ontologically wrong for that not to happen. And so here's what God is doing is that throughout our whole journey and all the wrongdoing, and we've talked about this many times about the problem of evil, that the Christians doesn't have the problem, the rest of the world has the problem because you know what's going to happen. One day, even grudgingly, the unbeliever will say, hear me now, you know what, God? You got it right. You got it right. You know what? I'm looking right now. God judged bad people. You got it right. The guy who, who's shysty and robs, if, you, if you're a conniver in here, God sees that. And one day God going to get you. And you're going to have to say, mad. You know how it is when your mom and dad punish you and you mad but you know you deserved it? <laughs> Walking upstairs like, hey, they got me. Right? One day the world is going to say, God was just. God was just. 
So, so it says here, the word it says, God considers it uh, just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you. He, what he's saying is, guess what, guys? Be encouraged. He says, those afflictions you are experiencing, he says it right here, right? It's, it's the evidence of God's judgment that you will be considered worthy, that, that, that one day you'll be considered worthy to be part of God's kingdom because one day, and I tell people this a lot of times, and I get emotional sometimes, I think of fighting hard the faith. This is my, my prayers. I'm fighting hard for Jesus. I'm walking with the Lord. Things are hurting. And then one day, man, you're, work, you're walking with Jesus, and then that sky cracks, and then there's your Savior, and you think, oh, it was worth it. Right? Tears. See, people who, when you're, when you're, when you're wrestling hard, and you, you, you keep on keeping on, but you're like, how long can I keep on keeping on? And one day you see the tears just roll down your face because you go, it was worth it. It was worth saying no to alcohol. It was worth saying no to drugs. It was worth saying I'm going to do the right thing with my finances. It was worth loving my wife. It was worth, right, being faithful to people in my community, caring for our kids, giving my money when I thought I really deserve to have all this, but I'm going to give it away for the kingdom. It was worth staying in this community and being on Seneca or Burns when I could have been, you know, in a nice suburb somewhere. It was worth it. Right? So he's saying, hey, I see what's going on, but be encouraged. He says, this is all to make you worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, don't mix it here. Your works don't save you. All right? Don't get this mixed up here. But what he's saying is there's something beautiful. He's saying something very plain that people that love God are the ones who will be in heaven. This is really, it's really simple. Right? That God's spirit is going to, but he's giving you that strength to keep on keeping on because one day he's, he's making you more like him. Sin cannot triumph in the moral universe family. The judge is going to get it right. And it's, God, it's good for God to judge the wrong. And so that's what he's saying in verse 5. And then he gives an assurance in verse 6. He says, hey, since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. He says, hey, one day I'm giving you the assurance that the tables will turn. Right? That things will change. The evil will be punished. And pain will be healed. Think about it. You're, in a, you're, you're, you're a Thessalonican. You're struggling. You're trying to walk the walk well. You're trying, to be, you're trying to preach the gospel. Don't you think this is a healthy word for them to hear? Think about their scenario. Hey, guys, I know you're looking around and you're thinking we're not winning. Let me just help you understand the bigger picture. Let me take you 30,000 feet, right? And he wants to encourage you. So that's what he's doing, and that's what he's doing for you and me. When sometimes we say, you know what? I want to, okay, I want to give God my all, but man... I think I should hedge a little bit. He says, no, you don't got to hedge. He said, don't resist the urge. Don't do that to God. You don't need to also bet and go long on world. Right? He said, no, 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 no. Put it all on Jesus. Trust me. Calm down. Right? Am I the only one who struggles with that? Right? Where I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm doing my Bible study. But man, I, you know, hold on. Maybe $5 on world? No. Right? says you don't have to do that. Verse 7, guys. So let me just slowly read. Let me read verse 5, 6 again so we understand. So this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. What is? That you may be considered worthy 
that, you're, that this pain you're going through is for a reason, for God to sanctify you, to make you more like him, for which you are also suffering. You're, and he said, I get it, you're suffering. Verse 6, since indeed God considered it just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you. He's saying, the way I can repay them is by actually you just living your life. When you're godly, all that's doing is giving me that space to say, I'm going to get you for what you did to him. <laughs> I'm going to hook that up. You see that? That's what he's saying. He says in verse 7, and to grant relief, look at this, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Make sure you have your Bibles open because I want you to make sure you're seeing this. And if you, you might want to circle to grant relief. In verse 8, he says, and in flaming fire. So he, so he says, when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? So here's what the coming, family, listen to this. Here's what the coming of Jesus, what it means for the believer and unbeliever. And I'm trying to figure out how to make this kind of simple. So let's start with, let's just start first and foremost, in general, it says Jesus is revealed, and literally the word is like angels of power. Uh, this picture is of an, it's almost like God is like saying to the people, hey, everyone's had me twisted for a while. Y'all just really don't understand what I'm talking about power. That you don't really understand what I'm talking about majesty and glory. And it's true. We don't really comprehend it. Angels of power is a picture of an army that's more mighty than you can understand. It's like, it's like a powerful landlord coming to settle, uh, settle affairs with a tenant. We see that actually uh, as a parable in the gospel, you know. The landlord's like, yo, your rich do. You know what I'm saying? It's that posture. It's, it's, it's that sense of what God is saying. He's coming to settle things. It, it's a sense of like, uh, when, when he says to, to grant relief, this, this sense of this heaven with his mighty angels is more of like a, you, you can't hide, you can't run, you can't withstand. Malachi 3, 1 and 2 says in the scriptures, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. You can write this address down. Malachi 3, if it's up there. Is it up there? Uh, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Listen to that, listen to that terminology, guys. Don't miss that. We've heard this before. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. Like a fuller's soap. Malachi 3.2, as a cousin to 2 Thessalonians, is the pictured family of a person who is totally at God's mercy. On that day, I, I, just, I was just meditating on this. On that day, every person in creation, you will, feel, you will be totally, you already are, but this is what God is saying. On that day, you will sense the total powerlessness of your being. Have you, you know, I, I wish I had, you know, I, I don't have an analogy to, to fit, you know, but I was, I was thinking about my brother. You know, you, if you have older brothers or you have older cousins or something, you ever had this moment where, where you think you're doing something to them? Like say you're wrestling or something? You know what I'm saying? Or, or throughout your childhood, you kind of can talk smarter to them. You know, like be sassy. You can kind of 
Uh, I can see it in our house, right? I mean, my, my oldest twins will destroy my other kids if they want it, right? But what holds them, right, is that there's a bigger plan, right? It's called daddy and mommy, right? And they know, you know what I'm saying, that they can't roll out and do whatever they want to do. There's a bigger agenda, right? And I, 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 remember, I remember just throughout my years, you know, I, I, think, I, I think I can take them. You know, he started. And I would just kind of wrestle with him, and, but I would, I would just be kind of rougher with him when he wasn't rough with me, and I never even knew it. It was only when I got into high school, right, when, when I, I, one day, you know, he's, again, he's, he's like two, 250 something, you know, in the field linebacker for a couple of years, you know. And I remember, but I remember even then he was like way bigger and, you know, just, and he was kind of like street two, he's crazy. And uh, one day he got mad at me in the driveway and, uh, and he grabbed me and, it, and I had been working out too. And it was that moment where I just felt like, it was like, it was like you know how you just have a flashback of all the times in life, you know? And I thought, you could have killed me all those times, huh? <laughs> it just hit me. It hit me like, oh, there was a power there that you just, you reserved and just decided that, you know what, I ain't going to even do this to you. Mercy. You never had that, right? Where does that one day he was just like, I just want you to know, boy. I can pop you silly, you know what I'm saying? That, 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 what I don't want to do, it pales because it's, it's, a, it's a faulty analogy, but the, the, the picture is of you and I to have such a deep reverence after that word, after you see, like, and it's to pause, Selah, Psalm says, to pause and think about this. That when, 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 when God, he's come, he's come as a lamb, and he's come, he says, come and get saved, and he says, man, repent of your sin, he comes, he's, he's humble, and then he says, man, there's going to be a time where God is going to come, and he is going to take over. And we can't even imagine it. Who will endure? Where would you hide? Where would you go? This is to encourage the Thessalonians. They're like, oh, okay. So I am on the right team. Okay. I, okay, this is still God's world. Don't you need that sometimes? Because you're at work sometimes and you forget it's God's world, don't you? Right? Things aren't going right and you forget, you know? You try to preach the gospel, you try to love someone, you try to invite someone into your home and they, and they treat you like you're just too religious and you go, man, is this all worth it? It's lost my reputation. I feel kind of corny right now. And you forget. You forget, oh, wait a minute. No, this is God's world. No, I'm not weird. They're, they're weird. They're not, saving their, they're not serving their king. Where do you struggle? Where do you, just, just, you forget. Just that quick. Who's running things? Right? In your marriage, right, we as men, we, we forget. Okay, wait a minute. I'm, I have to sacrifice my life. This shows itself all throughout our life. This is a timely word for, for these Thessalonians, guys. He uses the word here in verse 7, uh, the word rest, as you talk about what it means for the believer, guys. He, he, he's talking to these guys. He says, he uses the word rest. It, it means the word like relief or release, right? It's a picture of like whatever, is, whatever in your life is making it hard for you, you know, what's making it hard for you to... Um, to enjoy um, everything physical or spiritual that's threatening to make life 
that's making life unbearable, he says one day it's going to be gone. And it's just not for our adults. I mean, guess what? It's hard to be a young man, to be a young woman, to be in high school and junior high. What does it look like to, to learn to preach the gospel as a fifth grader, sixth grader, as a, as a ninth grader? See, God knows something that he's trying to relate to you and me right now, both young and old. That the world wants to dupe you in thinking that this is just a hobby. No. Jesus is real. And he's come to pay for sin. And he will come to fulfill all righteousness, to redeem his world fully. And he wants to remind you and me of that. That's what he's doing here. And so he gives this, this posture of like, hey, release and relief will be coming. Man, if you're, if you're these guys and you're struggling right now, this is huge. If you're struggling with some sinful addiction in your life, right? Does anyone, well, last time I checked, I looked at Paul. Paul in 2 Corinthians said, man, there is something so messed up in my life. I asked God to remove it from me three times, and he didn't. He said, this is hard out here. So you know what? I look around here, and I know, I know my family. Don't act like you don't have a struggle right now that is so grating against you. My prayer is that this will remind you of our destiny, of who God has made us, the strength we have in God. And look what he says here. He says, you're going to, be, you're going to experience rest, you're going to experience relief. And then he, then, he, then he jumps back. Notice he jumps to the unbeliever and to the believer. And to the unbeliever, you notice that? And then to the believer. He's kind of helping us see these destinies. This is the destiny of those who are walking. These are the destiny of those who are. Verse, verse 9, he says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. This is the destiny, he says. Um, It reminds me of, of Matthew 25, verses 41 through 46. Let me read it to you. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you curse, until the eternal fire prepared for the devil and for his angels, which by the way, it's just amazing to me that, that, that this was prepared for, for, uh, for, for Satan and his angels, and that, that, that God had to kind of like, you know, renovate hell for evil people. Verse, 20, verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Verse 44, then they will answer saying, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Verse 45, he says, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not uh, do it to one of the least of these, you do not do it to me, and these will go away in etern- into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Again, this picture here of the second coming, uh, when you see the synonymous parallelism that we talked about, you see the sense of, of everlasting destruction and everlasting life. You see that there? This is what he's trying to help these people understand. That verse 9 that we just read is a cousin to verse 6 earlier when he talks about this affliction that they're going to be getting. Well, the affliction is right here in verse 9. This is this eternal destruction, right? That they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Why why, you think, man, see here, it's funny when I talk about judgment, I I feel like we as Christians, we have this journey. We want it, we believe it, and we know it's real, but we're kind of like, huh. Again, it's still, it's a lofty thing. 
It's kind of lofty a little bit if, if we're honest. But I want to I encourage you. That's, that's why God helps us and, and brings us up in the scriptures over and over again, especially when we look at Revelations and you look at First uh, Peter and you look at the different epistles, is because people are fooled. A lot of people are fooled in thinking and building a faulty theology where we love heaven and we believe heaven and we can't imagine hell. And I'm telling you, the word, this word is to kind of blow that into smithereens. And to say, you don't, don't fall for that. That is fierce and it's eternal. He doesn't want to fall, have this fall into deaf ears. His point here is it's, it's eternal, it's, it's unexpected, and it's unavoidable. So first, guys, I just want to remind us. So what he's saying here uh, is that this is unavoidable. Number two, what he's saying is that there's a sense of existence. Um, when I talk about synonymous parallelism, but there's also the sense of exclusion. Look at the way he says it in the, in the text here. He first says everlasting destruction to everlasting life. And then he helps us understand that there's going to be a sense of, of you're existing, but, but you're, you're excluded. See, there's a doctrine that's called annihilationism, right? That basically what happens to evil people is kind of you, they get destroyed and then you, they're, they're just done, right? But according to this text, that's not biblical, in fact, I propose that doesn't fit what God is trying to do in his world as he wants to. It seems like when you think of the payment, it's one of no annihilation but everlasting punishment. Right? It's almost like, um, which I think is amazing, a sense of like continuing existence but exclusion. Have you ever had that happen to you where you, um, and again, maybe this is growing up, uh, sometimes I'll be a sore loser or something, you know, and my mind would be like, um, you know, go, go, go to your room, you know, and everyone's still playing. It's the most horrific thing when you know someone is somewhere else near you having a good old time and you're not. Isn't that hard? What they call it now? They call it what, fear of missing out, FOMO? I don't even, you, you never heard that? Yeah, fear of missing out. I've been hanging with young people. So... Uh, Staying relevant, Lee. Staying relevant. So um, I'm proposing here that there, there's, there's an irony. There's, there's, there, what, he, what he's saying is that there's a sense of, and this is interesting to me, because look at how the, Bible pre- how, how the Bible creates this, this theology here. It seems that God is saying there's going to be something about you continually always being uh, kind of being destroyed, but without the presence of God, which is interesting because remember, the people who don't love God, they don't want God's presence anyway. So why would I even be hurtful? I don't want to hang, I don't, I don't want God in my life anyway. You know why? I'm proposing. It's, it's, it's kind of like when people, they say they don't want God or they say they don't want something of a person, but it's that certain thing they don't want, right? Uh, let me, let me, so, so when people say, I don't want God, they're forgetting that God has created everything. They're forgetting all the common graces that come with God, even when you don't love them, right? The graces of life, right? Of, of happiness and joy. Of, they, we forget, we, you forget all that, right? The, 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 the protection from pain and death, right? The reason why we don't just combust all the time is because of God's grace. And so when a person says, so, so God is like, oh, so the irony is actually the very thing you said you don't want, I'm going to give it to you. The irony there is you're going to be without God. But it seems that, oh, 
when you truly are without God, it's destruction and punishment. You see that? We thought, oh, no, I just didn't want you to tell me what to do, God. I was not saying to take everything. No, that's what you said. You didn't want God. So there's an existence but exclusion here. People who reject God for their punishment, right, God is going to actually reject them. And then the removal of God we just talked about is kind of a one-package deal. It is a hellish banishment from the true and only source of of goodness and blessing. And he ends by saying, and this is what's interesting. I love this. If you look at verse 10, family, look how, look how the scriptures end. Uh, that although these guys will, will almost, there'll be some, I wonder if there's some consciousness of like, I'm being eternally punished and I'm without, which I think fits in line with the, with the theological rationale of what, of what we see, that the believer is experiencing eternal bliss and joy. And notice in verse 10, almost like we don't even remember the pain and evil. Notice the focus. The focus is, it's Godward. The text is Godward. See, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and be marveled. Saints aren't going, man, but I still matter how that dude played me in sixth grade. Saints are marveling at the glory of Jesus. Saints are so concerned of just enjoying Christ, of enjoying the promises of eternal life that if you look at even in Revelation there's no sense of the saints even an inkling of pain it's just a, the God and his grace he just boom just fills you with the fullness of joy continuous always everlasting unbridled joy it's beautiful beautiful it's a sense of punishment balancing with eternal celebration which I propose is the last synonymous parallelism so guys as you, as you, consider, as you consider this text here it's, it's rich it's sobering I see us thinking and God, yeah, it's sobering and what he's, what he's trying to do for you and me he's trying to give us fuel to persevere what does it look like to, to continue to keep on keeping on? And he, he just gives us two things. He says, I want, I, want you to, I want you to contemplate. I want you to think about. I want you to digest the destiny of those who don't know God. And it happens in two ways. Maybe you're someone who don't know God. He wants you to contemplate the destiny of your life without God. You've been playing church or you're young right now. And you're like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm just doing this church thing. He says, pause and think about this. This is real. And then for those of us who, uh, who know God, he, he wants to encourage you. He says, hey, just don't get caught up in trying to run like the world runs. Can I just say that one more time? Don't get caught up trying to stake your claim in the world like the world does. Because he's trying to show you the destiny. This is the destiny of that journey. And then he wants to continue to remind us, both the unbeliever and believer alike, the future grace we have, the future grace of the redeemed. That one day, one day, fullness of joy. And, and, I, and I'm not going to try to hustle you, you know, because I, I think sometimes we want to, you know, I, I agree, eternal life starts now when you become a believer, but we're still in a broken world and it's hard. And I'm just saying that the Bible 
doesn't spend a lot of time focusing on keeping your hope now. So I can't do that for you. What I can do is tell you to keep pushing now, keep pouring your life out now, keep being sacrificial now, keep doing radical things for Jesus now because one day God will fulfill his promise. I can say that. I can say that to you. These verses are not a digression from what we saw last week. They are an elaboration that he's just saying, I'm trying to address one of the great hopes that we see Paul addressing to the Thessalonians. And that is, man, I hope you persevere. Persevere. Be radical for Jesus because he's all that matters. Let's respond in worship through our time of communion and tithe.